This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Okay, Parsha Shoftim 5783. The Pasuk we're going to talk about today is Parak Yudzayin, Pasuk Yudzayin says, V'lo yabalo nashim, v'lo yasir levavo, that a king should not have too many wives, and that wouldn't sway his heart. V'chasav v'zav lo yarbev, lo ma'od. He shouldn't have too much silver or gold at all. So how many wives is a king really allowed to have? So Rashi says, altogether there are 18, which includes wives and concubines, at least according to one shita, and we learn this from David Amelech himself. At a certain point, he had six wives, and the Pasuk says, it's in Shmuel Beis, Parak Yud Beis, Pasuk Ches, says, V'im'at, if that's too little, V'osifa lecha, kain of a kain. It's not necessarily talking about wives, it could be talking about other things, but regardless, says, V'im'at, if it's too little, V'osifa lecha, I will add to you, kain of a kain, like this and like this. Like this and like this is like those six, I'll add again and again, that's six times three, which is 18 altogether, and that's the reason why David Amelech was not allowed to marry Abishagashunamis at the beginning of Malachim Aleph, <clears throat> at the end of his life, because at that time, he had 18 wives, or at least 8 wives and 10 concubines, and therefore he couldn't take a 19th. Now, the Rokeach and the Rabbeinu Ephraim point out that lo yarba lo nashim, the lo yasur, those words is altogether the gematria of 997, which is the same gematria of ach shmona esrei. That is, before an ach shmona esrei, there should just be 18. The Pachor Shor points out, the Rabbi Yehuda argues in this opinion, he says, you can have more, you can't have more than 18 bad wives, but you're allowed to have more wives as long as they're good people, that shouldn't be a problem whatsoever. We don't possibly like Rebbe Yehuda, we hold like the Rabbana, but nonetheless, that's his opinion. The Rambam in Hilchus Malach and Perikim Paskins, the 18 includes wives and concubines, but the Ravid says you could have 18 wives and as many concubines as you like, right? The Ran in Sanhedrin says like the Ravid improves it from Rechavim, who had 18 wives and about 60 Pilagshim. So clearly you're allowed to have 18, right? The Migdalos over there, the Ksava Kabbalah talks about this on this Pazik, but it is a little bit strange. What was the problem with Avisha Gajnami? So he couldn't marry her, but she could still be a concubine, according to this. It's a little bit strange when it comes to that. We actually do not know, right, how many wives Dovin Melech had. We assume six wives are mentioned in the Pasuk itself, in Parakir Ches, and we know that he had ten concubines, as they are mentioned when Avshalom took over the kingdom, right, that he was with the ten concubines, and we know that he also married Batsheva later on. So that would be altogether, at least, that we know of, seventeen. Michal is not in that list in Parakir Ches, but it's possible that it's the same as Egla. Egla is mentioned over there with a child named Yisrael, and it could be that that's her. However, she could be number eighteen. We do see, however, that Rechavim did have eighteen wives based in but again, he had many concubines. There's not a great riot for anything, but how many actual wives that David Melch had, we really don't know. How many wives and concubines he had, again, we really don't know. So why 18? Where does that number come from? Why does the Pusik allow that? Pharisees and Rebionis and Ibshitz tells says that the Gemara tells us a hedyot is allowed to have four wives, just like Yaakov Avinu. Right? Yaakov Avinu had four, so therefore a regular hedyot, a regular person is allowed to have four. Why four? This is going to be technical. I'm just going to go through it really quickly. The Onava Talmud Chacham, based on the Gemara Ksuvis, right? The amount of time he has to be together with his wife is once a week. And Friday night is specifically. That's why you cannot marry more than four wives, since a typical month only has four weeks. One week dedicated to each wife, wife within that month. That's the idea behind it. A king has Onava every day. I don't have a great source for that, but Rabbi Yonason says that, so he should be able to have 30 wives, 30 wives altogether, one for each day of the month. But since the Gemara would tell us that Hasidim would not be together with their wives on Motsi 
Shabbos, Sunday, and Monday, because the possibility of a child being born from any one of those three times could be born on Shabbos, and that could cause Chilol Shabbos, so they would stop that. So the assumption is that the kings of Israel were expected to be Hasidim, and therefore you take away three days out of every week, right, which takes away three, 12 nights altogether, thus 30 minus 12 is 18. That's the amount of wives you'd be allowed to have in the month, taking away those four days. And I recognize that there will be times where there's a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, there'll be a little bit extra, but the idea is right there, and that's the 18. That's where Jonas and I should. I don't have another answer for that. That's the only answer I have, which is super interesting. It's pretty obvious why he shouldn't have too many wives, right? As the Pusik itself says, the lo yasser levavo, that's the Pusik says, he shouldn't turn away his heart. Targum, right? Targum Yonason says this means so he doesn't make a bad mistake. Ibn Ezra says he will begin to follow his taivas once he gets involved in this. His desires. So therefore, we want to stop. And the Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says because Chava caused other Mauritian to sin. So therefore, it's already ingrained in the system for women to cause their husbands to sin. And that's the reason why we stop it. The Rambam says, although a king is allowed to divorce one of his wives in order to marry somebody else, Dovin did not wish to do so. Since all of his wives and concubines were alive, right, he would not add Avishag to his harem. He wouldn't allow it to happen. He then adds another reason why a king can't have too many wives. A king should not be Shatuf Bezima. Shouldn't be involved in Zima even with only one wife. His heart belongs Klai Even one wife could turn himself away from that responsibility that has to all of Klai Yisrael because he'll be under her whims, right, and therefore cause him to sway his heart, do something against the Klau's wishes. This certainly would happen to Achav once he married Izevel, which is, which is questionably Jewish. As the Puzzle of the Aleph says in Perich of Aleph, Asher Izevel Ishto. He was seduced. And that's the reason why a king belongs to the people. He does not belong to himself and he certainly doesn't belong to his wife. And that's why even one wife would be a problem according to this Rambam. The way Kanati wonders how Shlomo Melech could have messed up so badly, marrying a thousand wives. <clears throat> When the women said, when the Pasuk says that he's not allowed to do so, Ravinavachai says he relied on his wisdom to save him, which is against the Torah, and in the end he sinned. That's the idea that the Ravinavachai says he allowed his wisdom, he thought that he would be able to handle it. The Karen Ora and Sota Yud Omid Aleph says there were very deep thoughts going on in Shlomo Melech's head at the time when he did this. He wanted to subjugate the entire world to his rule. He wanted to force Malchus Shakai, the Malchus of Akadosh Baruch upon everybody, and that's why he married women from every single nation throughout the world, attempting to take in Kedusha and make everyone good throughout the world. It obviously didn't work, but there was a thought process behind it. Rebbe Michael Feinstein points out the Gemara, Shabbos Nun Heim Abayz, that Shlomo Melech never sinned, as well as the Rambam in, in uh, Hilchus Yisuri uh, Bia, Parakid Gemara, he says, one cannot imagine that Shlomo Melech actually sinned here. He explains that although before the Torah, that was given, there was such a thing as an Avera Lishma, such as Yaakov, you know, marrying two sisters, because that's what he knew had to happen. Such a thing was not allowed after the Torah was given. You couldn't do an Avera, even if you were doing it Lashem Shemayim. It's antithetical to what the Torah represents. Even if there's something that would be a Tikkun for one soul, or Tikkun for the souls of all of the people of Klal Yisrael, nonetheless, it is not allowed. And that's considered kfira if a person does that and cause one to lose their olam haba, as is what could have happened to Chizkiyo Amalek when Chizkiyo Amalek refused to have a child and refused to get married knowing that his child was going to be evil, which he was right about. But nonetheless, that's not something that you can do. No one's chachma can supersede what the Torah says that we have to do. So even though it's not usr, Shlomo Amalek was not allowed to do this, and that's why he was punished. And that's the idea behind it. He felt that his chachma would supersede what the Torah says, knowing what would happen to him, and he thought that it would be differently. Chavz explained what happened to Shlomo Amalek 
a little bit differently as follows. A man used to make fun of drunkards, right? Whenever he saw them calling them fools, idiots, how could they do such things? How could they act like this, he thought, cause everyone to laugh at them and make fun of them. Then one day he saw everyone drinking. I thought it would be worth it to just have a little bit of a drink. He's never had one before. So he decided he's going to have one. But one shot turned into 10 shots. And as he tried to walk home, every, everything turned double. He was swaying from side to side, right until he landed in a filthy gutter and he fell fast asleep. Soon everyone was making fun of him for being a drunk, right? Something he used to despise. Says the Chavit Chaim, Shlomo spoke out against those who did sins and assumed he could give in a bit to the day to Hara and it wouldn't harm him because of everything he had accomplished and everything he was able to do and everything he was able to accomplish to do in his life. But one should never test himself. Once he allowed himself to be tested by his Yitzhahara, it went bad very quickly, even without him realizing it. Right? This is what happens to everyone who allows themselves to be tested. And that's why we say every single morning, Veloli Deini Sayon. Says the Chavetz Chaim, he allowed himself to be tested, and that's why he failed. The Chassam Sofer Notzaz Das Sofer says that in Avodazara Yudzainim Abeis, there were Amorayim who passed by houses of ill repute in order to test themselves. Right? Thinking in Divrei Torah to keep themselves from doing an Avera and knocking down the Yitzhahara must be that they had no choice in this case because it's always better to go to war against your to not go to war against your Yitzhahara because you know you're going to lose them. That's why it says Nashim. Don't test yourself. Just learn. Don't use Torah as a weapon to fight with. And that's how he understands that Kamar over there. It can't be that they actually made that as a choice. Rochaim Kanievsky in Time of says we know that the reason the Torah tells us these two things are us is because even the smartest man alive thought that he could go ahead and do these two things and nonetheless he still sinned even more so we of course were going to sin that's how he says it but that might be exactly why Shlomo Melech sinned he didn't know this idea he had no idea that these reasons were given over because if you felt they didn't apply to you they still had to apply etc he was wrong of course but according to Rukhaim in Time of it could be that he's the first one to have tried something like this and from him, we learned that you're not allowed to do it. But he himself thought, well, if it doesn't apply to me, then maybe I don't have to do it. He was the first person to actually think that way. The Rekinati goes on. The Rekinati that we mentioned in the beginning about this, and he says, with all this, it's still a question. We're still talking about the smartest man alive, as well as a great, 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 great person. right? Someone who the Torah says, right, this person understood everything, even the secrets of the Torah. How could he have misunderstood a Pusik that says, So he says that the answer may be in the fact that he had a thousand wives, specifically. The Bala Kabbalah said they are a thousand kochos atuma that stem from the Nachash Akimoni. They're called Nashim Nachrios, non-Jewish ladies. The Bali Kabbalah, the, the Shlomo Malik did his absolute best to understand everything in the world, including the kochos atuma, and therefore Vayelech Shlomo Achrei Ashtoros. He went after those of Rizar. Not that he did the Avodah but he wanted to figure out what they stood for and what they were. He didn't serve them. He went after them to go figure them out. And he went just a bit too far, which is why it caused him to stray. That was his mistake. This whole Indian is not Pashti says, right? And it's not that he just married a, few, a bunch of women that he shouldn't have married. It's that there are Kokos involved, there's Yitzhahara involved, there's evil involved. And Shlomo tried his very best to subjugate all of that to him. All of those Kokos unfortunately didn't work. The Nachalio says that Tzadik like Shlomo would not naturally make this mistake and allow women to sway his heart. But since the Torah says that he shouldn't turn his heart, a Kos Gulu is meant in the world that causes anyone who marries too many women to have their hearts turned. As if even though naturally it should be impossible, that's what happened to him. Now we can understand what Rabbi Yishmael meant when he said in Shabbos Yud Gimel, Yud Beis and Beis, when he heard the Bryce of that you cannot read by the light of a candle on Shabbos because you might come to turn the lamp a little bit to make it a little bit brighter, right? He said, I can read, I'm not going to turn the lamp. In the end, he was reading on Shabbos and almost or possibly did turn the lamp himself and he said, Kama Gedolim how wondrous, how great are the words of the Chamim who say one shouldn't do so. Now what does that mean? Till now he didn't know that the words of the Chamim were great. That convinced him. 
The answer is that until now, he thought there was no way he could ever break Shabbos. Like, I would think about myself, like, how am I going to break Shabbos? What does that mean exactly? That would be impossible. And now he understands that Chamim have a power to cause a derech segula and make people break Shabbos if they go against their words. If you break our words, says the Chachamim, then you're going to sway your heart and you're going to move the lamp itself. And that's what happened. It was similar to what happened to Shlomo Melech. When he went against the Torah, he didn't realize there's a koach zgula from the Pasuk saying, Velo yasur that meant you will turn your heart. Even if you don't think it'll happen to you, even if you're extremely smart, even if you have everything, it will happen. The Torah and the Chachamim have the ability to make things like that happen. The Vilna Gon says, Rabbi Shmuel saw the Mishnah did not give a reason for why you shouldn't do that. Only a Brysa did. And he thought that the reason why that reason why the Mishnah didn't mention it is because the reason only applies to some people and not others. That's why he was mutter. When he almost sinned, or he did sin, he then realized that the reason why the mission didn't say anything is we didn't want to get around doing something that's officially usher, and that was the great svar of the Chachamim. This is quoted in the name of other Gedolim as well. There is a medrash that says that the Yud of Lo Yarbeh they shouldn't have too many wives. Complained to Akash Baruch Hu, saying Akash Baruch Hu created a Torah without a single letter, single extra letter. But now Shlomo Melech came and made the Yud unnecessary because he was Marbelo Nashim. So Akash Baruch Hu said back Shlomo Melech and his thousand korbanos will be bottle. But you, the Yud, will never be bottle. The question is obvious. Why wouldn't the whole world complain to Hashem? Not just the letter Yud. Obviously, the entire Torah is technically going against because Shlomo Melech went against the Torah itself. The Maril Zitzin says is because without the Yud, Shlomo Melech would have never done what he did. With the Yud, it sounds like the onus is on Beisdin to make the king not do, make sure that the king does not do any of these things. Without it, he would have understood it as Lo Sarbe, which is a clear love on the king itself. That's why the Yud got up and says, because of me that he sent, what was the point of putting me in the Torah in the first place? That's what he says, the Maril Zitzin says, and the Malbim as well. Rav Schwab says that Shlomo Melech understood the Yud to mean everybody else but not him. He wrote Shir Shirim. He knew nothing could interrupt his dvekus, his love that he had with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, that they were straight with one another. There was, he wasn't worried about marrying many women. What about the Pasuk? Yarba means everybody else, all other kings, or so he thought. That's why only the Yud got up and complained to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, that it was broken by Shlomo, but not by anybody else there. The Chavetz Chaim says a very strange thing. We never see a mitzvah getting up and complaining that it was created, right? Getting up in front of Hashem and saying, how could you have made it? And stuff like that. The people have been mavatal me. People have Mitzvahs all the time. You don't see mitzvahs getting up there and saying, oh, but he was over on this, but he was over on that. So the answer is, when it comes to all other mitzvahs, there's always someone else who could be makayim them. When it comes to tray food, someone's machalo Shabbos, somebody else is makayim Shabbos, somebody else is eating kosher food, right? But this mitzvah of lo yabalanashim is only for kings. It's for them to be makayim and not for anybody else. If Shlomo Melech is not makayim it, then nobody else is going to be. And that was the claim the claim of the letter of the mitzvah itself. The same exact thing would happen if every single person would stop being Makayim, a certain mitzvah, whatever that mitzvah would be, such as Lashon Hara, those letters would come before a Kaddish Baruch and be Mekatrig and say, what, what do you make me for? If everybody's not, nobody's keeping me, then what's the point? Towards me, it brings the Gemara to National Chafam Lebez and says, this is only true by a king. A head yoke can have as many wives as he wants. Interesting, because we mentioned the Rambam before about four. Although Yavam Samache says that anyone who marries another wife must divorce his previous wife, right? It's possible that this is only with Rishus from his first wife. Then you could marry many others. Then he can have as many as he wants. Why would that be? Why does the Gemara make this drusha about wives, but not about horses and not about money? And it doesn't say about anything else. It could be the reason for this is because horses will send you back to Mitzrayim, which is not Shaykh by a regular person. Nobody regular has the amount of money to go down to 
Mitzrayim. So to for money, it's so that you don't overtax the people. That's the reason for the kings to have this, which is also now shayach by a regular person. This is shayach by anyone, right? That maybe they'll sway his heart as they will a king, and therefore by wives, it's a different story. Kamashalan, it's mutter to do so. I would think that maybe it would be usher. Nonetheless, it's still mutter to do so because the only issue of lo yasulavavu is by the king and not by anybody else. Probably, as we mentioned before, because he's got a responsibility. Partizos says it's a problem for the Taz, who says in Yordias and Kofi Zayin that something mafurish in the Torah cannot be forbidden by Chazal. If it's mutter for a to have multiple wives, how could Rabbeinu Gershom make a gezera, right, that you can't marry multiple wives, according to the Taz? It's a tzarachin, because it's a very, very strange thing. If it's something mutter, again, if it's mutter to be able to do, how could anybody answer it? How could that be? Now, Ayel Sashakra over here talks about what happens if a person already had more than 18 wives and then became king. Does he have to divorce them or can he keep the 18 wives? Paris Yosef talks about this on page 747. Rabbi Chiyom Feinstein does his here as well. Or what if he was super wealthy and then he became king or he had a huge windfall when he was king? Does he need to get rid of the money? Can he keep it for himself? What happens when it says Louis Arbelokesa? Those ideas are all brought down by over there. Now, Refers points out that while the first two, horses and wives, right, say one thing, by money it says lo yar below ma'od. You can't have increase on, on them very much. He's allowed to have a tremendous amount of money. Any king is allowed to have that. In fact, he has to have a large amount of money to do what he needs to do for the kingdom. How else is he going to pay for everything in the kingdom? So what's the ma'od telling us over here? What's that telling us that he's not allowed to have? Rashi says he shouldn't have too much money, but enough to be able to give the armies exactly what they need. Sounds like he shouldn't be saving money that won't be used immediately just to fill his treasure houses, but he can collect an exorbitant amount of money if that's what he needs to defend the country or to go on the offensive. The Rambam says he's allowed to have extra money for the base of Mictish in his treasury, just not for himself. Neil Barbanel adds he allowed to have extra money for any of Hashem, not just for the base of Mikdash. Mom points out that the Gemara seems to blame Shlomo Mel for having too many wives that swayed his heart, but he doesn't seem to be blamed for having too many horses or too much money. Why is that? He answers, it's possible the only sin was having too many wives, since the horses were all a deterrent to others, so they wouldn't fight him, which worked, and the money was that he would have money to pay for a huge standing army, and again, that's allowed, because he tried to keep people away from him. It seems like both of these were increases based on needs at the time, and they would have been allowed based on the Rambam itself. The Pesach gives a reason why he shouldn't have too many horses because it may lead him to go down to Mitzrayim, right? So too, there's a reason given why he doesn't have too many wives. Again, they're going to sway his heart, right? That's that. But there's no reason given for why he's not allowed to have too much money. Why is that reason not given over here? The Moshe Zakenu wonders about this and he actually blibed Sarach Ian at the very end. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. But I found seven answers for this given by the Rishonim, seven basic answers, and I added on a couple to each. The Miamloes and the Tzedah Lederach say that money is something that everyone desires and never can get enough of. Had the Torah given a reason for this, why you shouldn't have too much money, every king would do the best to get around the reason and be Morahetar for themselves because of the desire for money more than women and more than horses that desire. Therefore, no reason is given whatsoever. We see what happened to Shlomo Melech when reasons were given for the horses and wives, even more so had there been a reason given for money itself. That's number one. Number two. Targum Yonason says is because money could cause him to have too much pride that will cause him to rebel against the Kadosh Baruch Hu. The Ravina B'chaya says the exact same thing. It says, this is obvious, since Pasuk Chof says, Levilti rum levavomikolachov, so he shouldn't have any gaiva. And that's the reason for all of this. That's obvious. The Shach says, more money he has, the more he will lose his bitachon on the Kadosh Baruch Hu and thinks that he's in charge. A king needs to have tremendous bitachon that Hashem is in charge and not he himself. Right? The Rambam, uh, Rambam also says that he can't have too much money. Lees knows bo or lees goisbo to become 
become beautiful through it or to make himself gaivitic. It would only increase his taiva and his ego. Tom Vidas, where Shnipok says, how is this possible? He's the king, right? He rules over everyone. His word must be followed or people are going to die for it. How will money sway him more than any other power? He clearly has more power than anything else and he has that anyway. So he answers that anyone who doesn't have enough money will always worry about the next day, right? When he should have bitachon that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will be able to take care of him, that Hashem will do everything for him. That'll make him daven constantly just in case because he knows he needs something the next day. If he has treasure houses or savings accounts that are filled, he'll no longer daven to HaKadosh Baruch Hu versus Parnosa and rely on the money that he saved and that will cause anyone to rebel, but especially a king who anyway has tremendous power without the money. So you see, it's the money that increases that power, that desire, that goes even further. Tzavis Brachos says it's applied to everyone, not just kings, and therefore no reason is given over here, because that would sound like it's a problem for regular people to hoard money in year for years and years and years, when the same issues would apply to anyone who does so. That's the idea behind it. And number four, the Ibn Ezra suggests a very, very different reason. We see what happened after Shlomo Melech passed away, right? The people came to his son Rechav and they begged him to lower taxes, right? And he went to the Zakanim and then to the Yaladim and he listened to the Yaladim, etc. But they said that the taxes were too large and oppressive for them to keep going, right? Maybe the Torah is telling the king not to do this so that the people will not feel like they're being punished by having to pay so much to the king. So you don't have too much money, so you're not overtaxing the people. The people had gotten used to such a great life where the silver was like stones or maybe even worth nothing at all. They couldn't imagine a poor life at all. That's why they complained to Rechav and we didn't listen to them at the behest of his young advisors and caused a split in the kingdom after they stoned the tax collector Adoniram or Adoram right right after that. That's the Ibn Ezra, which is brilliant. Number five is Yabarbanel. If he begins to go after more and more money, he will try to get more, get them through more and more nefarious means, possibly through cheating or stealing from other people. That's why you should be happy with what he has, period. That's the idea. Number six, Teferis Yonis, number six, number six, says the Shefa given to a nation is based on the Shefa brought about by its king. If the king is generous and gives money and objects to all of his subjects, he's rewarded by giving, being given more and more from above, so to speak. However, the king refused to give away his money and keeps everything for himself, right, in his bank accounts and all of his storage houses, etc., then he less Shefa will be given to him and the people, right, will not have enough. That's why he is warned not to keep things for himself, so that more Shefa will be given to everyone else there. The Torah more has our seventh answer. He says all kings want to be known as the greatest, which is why they try to have as many horses as possible, make them look amazing, as much wives, as many as wives as possible, so he has a tremendous amount of children, right, and as much money as possible to make a name for themselves. That's why these three things are forbidden for, forbidden for them, so they won't do what other kings do. So why does the Pasuk change its wording? By horses and women, it says, lo yarbe lo first, while by money, it says, lo yarbe lo after the object. Again, it seems to be the exact opposite, right? It seems to be, again, lo yarbe lo, and then it mentions nothing, lo yarbe lo, and then it mentions the horses. But by money, it says, the kesef, lo yarbe lo. Why does the kesef mention first? And the Amalwe's answer is, this is a warning. If you have too many wives and you go against the Torah, in the end you'll lose money and the kingdom will not be as wealthy as they once were. The Gemara points out this type of effect that silver was worth absolutely nothing at first, but later was worth the amount of stones. In between the two, he married the daughter of Paro. When you marry too many women, in the end, you will have less money in your kingdom. And that's the connection between the women and the money that are mentioned right over here in this Pasuk. Awesome, everybody.